Welcome to Humanly, the podcast searching for the truth about health and wellness. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Humanly. My name is Daniel Reuters, and today I'm joined by Dr. Gabe Roberts. Dr. Roberts, I am really excited to speak with you today. I've been following uh, your posts on Facebook for a couple of years, and you've got a really interesting perspective on health and wellness. And I know that you're doing some really uh, interesting work in your own practice, helping treat clients. Um, So what I know about you is you're a chiropractor, you've done some training in hypnotherapy, but you've focused, or it seems like you're focusing more now on a type of therapy called holographic manipulation therapy. And I'm really looking forward to picking your brain on that and uh, learning more about the work that you do. So are you able to give a little bit of an introduction about yourself and what got you into doing holographic manipulation therapy? Excellent. Uh, thank you for having me on, Daniel. Um, yes, I am a chiropractor and I have um, basically had an emphasis and a big interest on um, functional medicine, which is basically the treatment of, of chronic illness with uh, nutrition, um, lifestyle changes, and things like that, where we run a little bit more sophisticated testing than a normal allopathic medical physician would who is limited by insurance. And I've done that for a decade using nutrition and lifestyle and breathing techniques and acupuncture and a, a tremendous amount of different energetic techniques from uh, what's called best bioenergetic synchronization technique uh, to acupuncture to something called quantum integration, body code, emotional code, all these different modalities, uh, everything from hypnosis to EMDR. Um, but I didn't start out with the hypnosis and EMDR, but I, I was always working with emotions. I had a very... Um, I had a very strong passion for helping people with emotions because probably because of my own conflict, my own deep down emotional distress that I, I carried for, you know, basically my whole life, uh, as well as being a Marine. Um, so many things like post-traumatic stress were, uh, very, 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 um, a big interest to me because I was trying to figure out how to solve those. And what I noticed in working with, um, patients from around the world for nearly a decade is that we can do things to help people with like diabetes type two and do things like Lyme disease and a number of different elements that, that seem to be, um, increasing dramatically across the, across the globe. And what I noticed over time is that people tend to recreate the illnesses in some way, shape, or form. Not all, but a large majority of them. So they, what the pattern I recognized, my wife and I recognized, is that people come in, they're new to functional medicine, we give them some stress management techniques, tips, have them start exercising, eating right, um, doing things like that, and their symptoms improve on lab work, and they start feeling better. And within six months to a year, uh, 80% or greater, uh, tend to recreate their illnesses some way, shape, or form. And what I found was, over time, this was kind of troubling to me, that it was the psyche that needed to get addressed. In other words, their identity, 
the deepest way of how they view themselves, highly unconscious, well below the surface of their awareness and our awareness and, and a majority of doctors' awareness. And that psyche was ultimately what was responsible for unintentionally creating these illnesses. So I started on kind of a journey of looking deeper into the ways to address this part of us, the deep unconscious part, um, because the emotional clearing and, and the uh, best level three and things like that were very limited. You know, a person come in, they're angry. You do an emotional clearing technique. They're not angry anymore uh, until they come in contact with something in life that brings them, uh, makes them angry again. And we'll get into that a little bit more in depth, but it has to do with the way memories are structured. It has to do with the way the coding system of our nervous system works. And essentially they're holographic. Our memories are holographic. And what this means is holograms are, in physics, it's a three-dimensional image created by waveform patterns that um, are incredibly efficient. In other words, they carry a tremendous amount of data in a very small construct, uh, a very, very, very small little piece of um, you know space can carry tremendous amounts of data. And that's basically what our memories are. And so in watching these people recreate illness, we went on the journey of studying everything from hypnosis to neurolinguistic programming to emotional freedom technique. Any technique I could find out about the mind or seminar I could find out about the mind, I was there. And when I came across, across Carl Prebrum's work and, from University of Stanford and David Bohm's work, University of London, these are ones a physicist, one's a neuro, uh, neuroscientist. They basically both independently declared that our mind, our brain, our memories, our unconscious, all works holographically. And then it suddenly dawned on me why there's so limited results. Because some people can do outstanding with things like MDR. Many times in, in deeper cases of trauma, um, it's limited. Or they have some relief, but there's still the potential for a re-trigger of something. Um, same way with hypnosis and same way with uh, many other techniques that I've studied. So once we found this work, we started putting all these pieces of everything, all these nuggets we found in these various systems from German New Medicine to secrets of the Soviet sports psychology, everything we could find. And we put these nuggets together and found that they were essentially Legos. And these Legos built a system where we actually are able to go back to the initial seed planting of when a person first had an overwhelming Let's say, like I mentioned earlier, in the patient with anger, till they have anger again. Well, when they're in the womb to about three to four years old, primarily, is when their nervous system is so uh, voracious for data. And the mirror neurons are just uncanny in their ability to take on things. So mirror neurons are a part of our nervous system that... Daniel, if I was eating a banana in front of you right now, okay, even on Zoom screen, open, if I peeled a banana and ate it, the same nerve uh, brain centers would go active in you as if you were eating a banana just watching me. Right. Well, when we're in the womb to about four, those parts of that developing fetus or, or uh, early infant, okay, are just twin turbocharged 
compared to what an adult is. So those experiences in the womb to about uh, four years old are really the most critical. And everything up until that point, including all my patients, this example of a person with anger, all of those are basically dynamics of what happened then and are holographic imprints. So what we do with holographic manipulation therapy is the person will give us a story about why they have chronic illness or why they have pain or autoimmune or whatever it is, um, some kind of physiological illness that's not responding or is very, they plateaued in their approach with nutrition or, um, you know, whatever it might be that they're doing. And we find the source of where that was first planted in their nervous system and establish safety, give them the, the necessary um, means that were needed there. So it's usually some kind of emotional need not met. Whenever I say the word trauma, uh, I don't necessarily need battlefields. I mean, some time of overwhelming incident that occurred where the child, the infant, the fetus was um, unable to cope with it correctly. So it was, it was overwhelming, activated a um, protective mechanism in the nervous system. They stored it, they walled it off, and they they stored in any of the neurons in their body as an active icon of memory. And basically, if that, that memory is holographic. And if you go in and you try to do things later on in life, what you're probably going to do is reduce the container of that, but you'll still leave pieces of fragments behind because a hologram is billions of fragments, and each tiny fragment contains everything within that image. So that's why a person can get re-triggered and re-triggered and re-triggered. It's because they're activating that same holographic imprint that was um, initially implanted when they're in their earliest years when they were um, first born um, or even developing in the womb. Right. Once, once we went back, changed those, established safety in all the past versions of them that ever felt that, uh, their psyche is completely different. Their identity is different. They literally shift perception on how they, first off, how they see themselves, how they see the world. The world suddenly is not, no, it's not so threatening. They feel safer on a very, very, very deep level. And suddenly their allergies uh, are no longer a problem. Suddenly they're not sensitive to mold anymore, you know, or, or um, you know, they suddenly have are able to establish boundaries in their life and things like that. And that is ultimately those parts of us to control that also are part of the same system that regulate our immune system. Right. So it, it, we address the psyche through what's called psychosomatic medicine. And that addresses the re repressed emotions that are oftentimes the source of why a person will develop chronic illness over time. You're, you're talking about uh, how people recreate their illness. So they go away and do some nutrition and lifestyle stuff, but the disease or the problem comes back. So is that because the cause of the problem wasn't their diet and their lifestyle was actually that trauma originally? Or do you think that people can have like some disease that is created from a nutritional deficiency, for example, but then they identify with that disease and then when they they correct the deficiency, the problem still remains? I think there's a little bit of both in that. Okay. Um, I, I don't, first off, I do not dismiss the tremendous amount of nutritional deficiencies we have. 
uh, because that is a, is a major problem. And additionally, the things that we have in our environment that um, proliferate that, like glyphosate, for example, okay? Glyphosate is, is now they estimate 75% of that uh, is in the water. That's the active ingredient in Roundup. And it's a mineral chelator as well as a antimicrobial. It has like seven or eight different patents on it for an antibiotic, an antimicrobial. And it's water soluble, which is really terrifying because it can go everywhere. And so once that comes in contact with a person, uh, our body is mostly microbial if we're healthy. And again, that's why one of the reasons why when you're in nature, you're healthier because you're surrounded by various microbes of every kind, including parasites, including bacteria, including a tremendous amount of beneficial fungi, things like that. And when we come in contact with this, it will uh, limit those microbes, but also chelate our, our minerals like zinc, things for stomach acid, you know, things like that. I don't dismiss um, nutritional deficiencies at all. I think that's a big problem. And I think that people can identify with those illnesses and suddenly there's some kind of payoff, like they get attention or they don't have to work or people pay, you know, you get special privileges, people from family members or whatnot bend over backwards to make sure that you're okay. Mm. And if you all of a sudden are healthy and strong, you kind of lose that. I think that's, that is a, a, a part. Right. Um, why people recreate illnesses is what I witnessed a true, uh, a tremendous amount of. And when I interviewed various doctors and functional medicine um, practitioners around the world, I saw that they had a similar trend or they noticed a very similar trend, mm. that there, there seemed something was missing in their testing with people. And when they recreate their illnesses, they're not doing it intentionally. And they do it below the radar of doctors and, and, and themselves. But it doesn't match with the psyche. And what that means is somewhere deep down inside of this person who's coming in and trying to do better, they're trying to feel better, they're trying to develop a better lifestyle, better relationship, whatever it might be, better relationship with themselves, uh, they're trying to eat better, exercise better, something deep inside of them feels perhaps like they're, like they're not worth it, mm -hmm. uh, like, they're, like they're unlovable, um, like it's not worth the effort, you know, all these different things. And that's what I mean by the psyche, is right. we can do these things. And we can try to help the person out, but all too often it's superficial. And what happens is, um, and I see evidence of this, there's been a couple doctors that have um, published journals on these things, um, that when a person goes and sees a naturopathic doctor or a functional medicine doctor five years, 10 years down the road, oftentimes those people are no healthier than they were when they first started. And that was troubling to me. And what it comes down to is, is they have a psyche, a deep down um, program within their unconscious mind. That's part of the identity, which is the, the strongest, most powerful memories we have. The ones that really operate and run how we view life, run how we do everything, are the ones formed between the womb and about five years old. Right. Okay. And those are the ones that will oftentimes um, create coping mechanisms and, and uh, 
deep identity feelings, things like that about the self that don't match this new journey they're trying to go on. Right. And even doing hypnosis, I'm a master level hypnotherapist, even doing hypnosis, I noticed that it's far in between whenever you get someone to really change their beliefs because you can put someone in a nice relaxed state and, and even have them do it to themselves and have them affirm layering on positive beliefs. Hmm. But what I found is it, it's not uh, it's not hitting the identity as deep as it should. And anything that doesn't match those early memories, it oftentimes will flex its might and fight back almost in a way of saying, who do you think you're fooling? Right. So um, with holographic manipulation therapy, we're not that that's not the situation. We're able to actually go back in the womb wherever we need to and and let them recreate it the way they want. Because anything the nervous system generates, it accepts. If I gave you an idea and it was outside of your knowledge and outside of your nervous system, there's automatically a perception of pain. If you came up with the idea on your own, it's automatically pleasure. And the same goes for many of these uh, systems that work with the unconscious mind. If you're working with a system and it's layering beliefs into the unconscious and it doesn't match that early identity, it might change, it might not. Oftentimes it gets rejected. And so um, if we create a system and install that in you, that's your system that you did all on your own, that's as unique as your fingerprint and you're able to imprint that into those early memories, change it out. And what I mean by that is create a new hologram, one that cancels out all the frequencies of that initial setting. Then your nervous system does not resist it. It doesn't reject it. And additionally, if there's some piece we need to keep from that early experience, sometimes that can happen. You go back, there's a hologram of trauma or overwhelm, maybe in the womb or a two-year-old or something, and you go back and change that that construct, that early memory. But what if there's two or three pieces that the unconscious mind has put in there that it absolutely wants that person to hold on to? An experience they're supposed to learn, a life lesson, whatever it is. If you don't extract those out, um, it'll resist. It'll resist the change, no matter how good the change is. So, so that's something else that uh, we've recognized and accounted for. With like disease manifestation, say there's a emotional trauma. How does it manifest as a physical disease? Because I've seen this in clinic where someone has had a event happen to them, and then over the years they've held on to that trauma that energy and it somehow manifested as a physical problem and you can go and take an image of their body with like an x-ray or an ultrasound and physically see that disease tissue and then by dealing with that underlying trauma then the disease tissue resolves like how in your perspective or from your perspective how does all that work how is the um, nervous system and the inputs coming in then manifesting as a physical tangible disease that we can see right that's a good question um first off everything in the human body is generated through feelings um i have a tremendous amount of 
clients that come to me. I even have some people in my school that are um, well-versed and well-trained in the unconscious and working with the subconscious mind. And one of the things that they, that always kind of shocks them is that emotions are not the problem. Emotions. And that's, again, I've been chasing emotions for 10 years before it dawned on me. Emotions from the newest levels, the newest findings in neuroscience today uh, point out that our emotions are actually reconstructed. So our emotions are the brain's best guess okay, of what's going on in that moment. However, the body feelings that come up never lie. There's always a body feeling. Every time, every experience, there's nothing a human experience has without a body feeling, either a feeling we want more of or a feeling we want less of, mm. okay? When we have a feeling within nanoseconds, our nervous system is scanning all the past versions of us that have ever felt that feeling before. So perhaps hundreds of thousands, okay? All going back, all the way back to that, compare. it, it does a comparative analysis all the way to what happened in the womb, immediately extracting data, comparing things, almost saying, hey, if we felt this before, what would we do? And it all comes back and it, it creates a story and comes back and says, okay, we're having this emotion, we're having anxiety, we're having nervousness, we're having depression right now. But it's not necessarily that that's the problem. It's the body feeling, okay? So how does a body feeling eventually lead to physical manifestations would be the question. So what happens is when we have higher vibrational feelings versus lower vibrational feelings, everything is, is a, is a waveform construct in this reality mm -hmm. through quantum physics. Um, we're, we're waveforms, everything atoms. If you measure an atom, it does a, a waveform the way the charge bounces from positive to negative. So everything's an atom form from atoms and everything has a waveform in its basic fundamental um, uh, its basic fundamental construct okay so when we have feelings that are higher vibration okay like bliss acceptance joy okay um, things like that gratitude these create uh, feelings and those feelings are generate what are called neuropeptides and neuropeptides are something we can measure they are the chemical building block of feelings and when they're things like gratitude and bliss acceptance self and self-love and i i've used the love very vaguely because um i've seen people love is a hollow word so if i say the word love in this what that means is i only see the best in you I fully accept you in my presence and I'm filled with joy to have you in my presence. That's what love means. But it can also it can also hurt people. I have seen people um, suddenly have uh, sabotaging behaviors and they go on binge drinking and they, they start sleepwalking and eating cake at night and doing all these weird things because someone put them in a hypnotic trance and told them to love themselves more. Yet their identity from zero to three, they were born into a household. They were around um, very, very abusive or substance abuse, very violent circumstances. Yet the word love got thrown around a lot, and that's what they identify with. Right. 
right? So some people, if you say love yourself more, they just go on a path of self-destruction and have no idea why. Right. Okay. So if a person has self-love, in other words, they accept themselves, they only see the best in their self, gratitude, things like that, those feelings create higher vibrations. Those neuropeptides that have higher vibration create the signal of flow. Neuropeptides are chemical messengers. They flow through the body. When they attach to receptors on our cells, we have anywhere from 50 to 70 trillion cells. When they attach to the receptors on the cell, those specific neuropeptides create wonderful harmonious signals in the cell. And those signals per, uh, allow flow. They allow flow, which we call harmony, health, happiness, well-being. Okay. Now, on the flip side of that, if a person has feelings in their body from an identity of, of you know, trauma and overwhelm and abuse and things like that, they're going to have feelings of resentment, guilt, shame, anger, things like that. Well, these are much lower vibrational signals, but they're feelings. Those feelings also create neuropeptides. And when those neuropeptides flow through the body and attach to cell receptors, the signal now those cells have are quite different than harmonious flow. They're stagnation. They're not flow. And what happens over time, the more feelings that person has. And again, we, the biggest problem with a person's health is the fact that we go in and out of memories 15 to 50 times an hour. And we're constantly shifting our feelings, whether we know it or not. Hmm. You can't go on, you can't walk down to your mailbox. You can't drive a car down the road. You can't do a simple task like laundry or, or doing something without your mind, taking trips 15 to 50 times an hour. You're visiting different holographic imprints of your life. And if that past experience that you're visiting was something that produces ill feelings, lower vibrational feelings, those feelings immediately produce neuropeptides. Those neuropeptides attach the receptor in cells, give it a feeling of stagnation if they're lower vibration. And then the neuropeptides over time will begin to accumulate in areas of the body. And they will begin to accumulate in the areas where there's trauma associated with it. So it can be an area where you were hit, maybe, or an area you were struck. And from a chiropractic standpoint, anything after 12 weeks is fully healed. So, uh, physiological speaking, if you, if you look at the muscle, the bone, blood vessels, things like that, after 12 weeks, that area is healed. If there's still an ache going on or a pain that comes on when there's stress, that's memory. And that's basically neuropeptides getting accumulated in that area. Right. And, and so they can accumulate in anywhere in the body. As you probably know, people that have suffered tremendous amounts of loss of hope, grief, things like that, those will start to accumulate in the lungs. Um, hurt, loss, betrayal can accumulate in the heart in both the man and woman. And then they, if it's a woman who, put it this way, can't, if her identity doesn't match the nurturing being that she's meant to be as a female, and she's not able to nurture 
I don't care if it's not having a child. I mean, we've all heard stories about the lady that has a ton of cats, right, in her house. Uh, cat, These crazy cat ladies we hear about once in a while. But these women are still um, honoring this unspoken contract of being a nurturer. They're nurturing the cats. Mm-hmm. When a woman feels like she can't be a nurturer, um, those neuropeptides begin to accumulate in the heart and on the left breast over the heart. And so over time, those neuropeptides begin to accumulate and they will do things to get your attention because they want to be metabolized. They want to be, you know, cleared from the body. So they'll, you know, they'll cause some itching, some localized inflammation, uh, begin to accumulate to a palpable mass and then get quite serious if they continue to get ignored. Once the person, like you mentioned, uh, clears that uh, trauma, clears that, doesn't feel it anymore. Um, those feelings immediately shift the chemical messengers of the neuropeptides. They op- they give the signal of flow. Things flow. It sheds and accumulates. It, it sheds and this um, leaves the body. Right. So that's the the feelings create me- chemical messengers depending on the feelings of high vibe, low vibe, is going to depend if there's flow or if there's stagnation. Hmm. And they can accumulate anywhere in the body that is um, associated with that trauma. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you've explained it really clearly. I'm sure it's a very complicated and complex process that's happening there. But yeah, you've sort of made it understandable. So yeah, thank you for that. Adding on to what you sort of already touched on there is specific disease states. So say like, an are there specific patterns that lead people towards, say, like getting autoimmune disease or specific patterns of trauma that lead someone to getting inflammatory bowel disease? Or is it not very specific? Like one person could be exposed to a certain trauma and they might get, say, lupus but the next person gets exposed to that same trauma, but they then get cardiovascular disease or are there specific traumas for specific conditions? Does that make sense? It does. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. What I have found is there is a, there's a tremendous amount of accumulated data that, that does say that, you know, these specific uh, feelings, again, they, they say emotions, but feelings, um, get locked in the body in certain places, there is a certain patterns that do show up. Uh, what I've recognized is that everyone's so unique in their own experience that if you think of somebody that has autoimmune, it's usually somebody that feels, um, they feel worthless mm-hmm. deep down. Like um, I, I just had a, a, a new client reach out to me who is well-versed in neuro-linguistic programming, and, and she does a lot of that with coaches and does a tremendous amount of change work in people, and Willis works on herself. And she's contacted me because she has cancer. Right. And one of the first things I told her is, uh, if you have an identity that matches this, your body will create it. Your wow. unconscious mind is the most powerful manifesting agency known to man. And if you have something under the surface that... Uh, is is creating that it will show up 
And she just wasn't sure because she's like, I've done all this work on myself and I've, you know, I, I try to live healthy and I do all these things, but boom, I have it. And I, so I went through a checklist and I said, I want you to pay attention to how this feels. So you don't have to know anything else about it at all. I just want you to see if there's a little ping, a feeling in your body. And I said, you're worthless. You don't deserve to be loved. Um, you know, all these other phrases. And she said, I got pings on every one of those. Hmm. And then I said, okay, contrast that with this. You're a worthy, valuable person. You fully accept, love yourself, and you're loved by others. You know? And I said, how do those feel? And she said, that one I get a ping on. This one sounds nice, but I, I, something to me just doesn't believe it. And I said, exactly. So that's your identity. Mm-hmm. You're not going to recognize it. And you're certainly not going to be able to consciously figure these things out because they're, they're so in your blind spot. So you have to trigger them with the feeling. You have to trigger the holographic imprint that is well below the surface of your awareness, but will produce a feeling of that. And so, but it's, but everyone's so different. Mm. Autoimmune, it's usually some kind of self-destruct or something about them they don't like. Um, irritable bowel, it's usually some kind of fear. It's something that, um, if it's chronic, like loose stools, some kind of rejection, okay? They're running from something. They're just, there's something in them that, um, is producing such a fear that their body just constantly is shedding and shedding and shedding and shedding or rejection. Okay. But it's not always that way. It's not always so cut and dry. That's how it is, mm. you know? So each person has their own uh, unique experience and it's as you, it's as, it's almost like their own fingerprint. And that, that will determine then how they respond to a certain stimuli or input. So you could have two different people both exposed to the same trauma. One might respond negatively and one might not respond at all because of their identity and, and the events that have happened through their life will determine how they respond and deal with that situation. That's exactly right. Right. Okay. That's exactly right. And looking at studies with post-traumatic stress, something that I've looked at, and worked with veterans and, and was a veteran myself, a uh, combat veteran. When you look at the, the people who uh, serve in combat and they develop post-traumatic stress, uh, they are ones that uh, did not get it from combat. It always seems like it did. It always seems like that's, that's what they would um, assume it came from. Hmm. But when we regress the cause and every combat veteran I've ever... Um, met with, including even my own experience, it nothing has nothing to do with what happened in combat. It has to do with something oh. produced early in those stages. And what happened is those produced a specific feeling. And that feeling was something that the unconscious mind began to seek out as opportunistic as it is. It's very opportunistic and ultimately put them in a situation where they would experience those feelings again. So we are constantly trying to match and find, seek out anything that produces the feelings similar to what we felt zero to zero to five years old. Mm. Okay, and if a person had, let's say, a, a very, um, let's just say, for all practical purposes, a person that has a very warm and welcoming 
um, uh, zero to three or zero to five. You know, they're welcomed, they're comforted, they're held constantly. They're not put on the ground. They're they're comforted. They are sleeping with the parents. The parents welcome them every day. It's like everything in those parents' life gets suspended. So they can immediately be emotionally available for that kid. Something extraordinarily rare in today's world. Mm-hmm. Let's say that that happens to that individual. And that individual is going through life and has something traumatic happen. More than likely, that's not going to overwhelm their system. They might have a stressful feeling from it. Something mm-hmm. might come up. But they're going to be able to deal with it really well versus someone that already has a template that matches something like that because now when that template gets formed in the in those first years your unconscious mind yours you're actually taking in 2.3 million bits per second of information so you're scanning like a submarine pinging sonar and every time something matches that you get a feeling and that's what i was essentially doing with that woman was giving her something for her sonar to either hit or miss and I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. I have a, a big list that I read off to some people. And when they get a ping, I say, ah, so if, if you don't even have to feel like you're worthless, you might think I'm not worthless. But if I say that and there's a ping deep down inside, that's so unconscious to you. And that's what your cells are literally eavesdropping on. Your cells are listening to your dominant thoughts and your dominant thoughts are not the thoughts you're thinking right now. They're the little icky background feelings below the surface that manage everything going on in your body and will manage those autoimmune conditions and things like that. So my goal is to go in and eliminate all of that, all those imprints and any past version that's ever felt it. Because as you're going through life, anytime you match some you you come in contact with something that matches that early signal you get a feeling and another notch is added it's like a whole nother version of you suddenly is added to that chain right. okay what's a typical consultation with you look like and how would it differ to say something like hypnotherapy or traditional psychology appointment where they're using things like cbt for example so the a, a typical consult with me is um, I usually show them uh, an illustration of how the mind works and how the problems that they're uh, um, coming in with are not the problems they're aware of. So it's it's although you're coming to me and you're saying this is what I have and I've got irritable bowel and it started whenever I was in this argument with my spouse or I had this divorce or whatnot, um, I do listen and I I want them to share their story with me. Mm. Um, but then I draw a picture of the mind, an illustration, and show them how uh, chances are that's not it at all. Right. Um, and and here we are, November 18th, uh, coming towards the end of the year. This year, um, I've had two clients physically know where their trauma came from. Everyone else says, this is when it started. We asked their unconscious mind to take us to the very source, and it has uh, nothing to do with that. So I share that with them, and then I kind of share the rules with them of what it's going to take. This has nothing to do with beliefs. 
It's based on neuroscience, but you have to participate. That's it. And uh, it works for people that are completely resistant to hypnosis or hypnosis hasn't worked for because it gets them out of a state of hypnosis. Okay. Now, I use a little bit of hypnotherapy in the beginning of it to anchor them into safety. I use three different mechanisms to anchor them fully into safety before we ever start. So there's no reliving of the trauma. There's no reliving of the experience. And and sometimes, I mean, sometimes they don't even think it's trauma. They're like, I don't even know what it is. I had a perfect childhood. My parents were so loving and so caring to me. And I say, okay, so what's the problem? And they said, I've just got this gut issue that won't heal. This gut issue that won't heal. And they don't know they're fearful. They have they think they have a gut issue and they think everything's hunky dory. So I say, uh, okay, this gut issue has a feeling to it, doesn't it? You'll think you're making it up. It's very faint, but it has a feeling when you think it is. Oh yeah, it does. So I have them start describing this in a way that doesn't make any logical sense, but it allows us to pipeline right into the very source of it. Mm. And I'll use a frequency in the beginning to remove any blocks. So the first thing I do is have them, uh, energetic medicine technique I have, I, I can use a frequency that just instantly removes any blocks they have. So if there's, let's say this thing was overwhelming to them and they've buried it and they put armor plates over it, uh, suppressed it for so long, um, I use a specific frequency to kind of open that up, anchor them in safety, and then I have them go after that feeling and we pipeline to it. And in this particular woman who said, I've never had anything traumatizing, but I've got this gut issue. Mm. Suddenly she's three years old. She's outside and uh, she is with her parents and the family's chicken coop is just bursted into flames, right? And her parents are running around scrambling. There's a lot of chaos in the air and she's sitting there crying, screaming, watching this. Mm. So it's something that you'd never think is trauma, okay? Mm. Um, or a little kid waking up in the middle of the night and it's a thunderstorm going on and he's afraid because he's by himself. Yeah. Something, something like that, that just overwhelming experience that gets locked into our nervous system. Mm-hmm. And as a hologram, okay, it's playing over and over and over. The easiest way to describe what a hologram is, is if you picture a container, like a trough for animals mm-hmm. and it's filled with water. And you drop two stones in it and those two stones hit the water at the same time and you get ripples and those ripples begin to collide and you could flash freeze everything on the surface of the water. Take that chunk of ice out and put a laser to it. What it'll do is it'll create an interference pattern, a image, three-dimensional image that will come up. And within that interference pattern, every bit of the stones information is on that pattern. The weight of the stones, how fast they hit the water, what angle they hit the water, what was the surface like? Everything about those two rocks hitting is captured in that interference pattern. Hmm. So when we have a holographic imprint of a memory, everything, every experience, every feeling, everything in that, uh, in that millisecond is captured, stored, and part of our nervous system uh, does not know that's over. It's still playing over and over. Mm. So if the event's going on, um, our nervous system doesn't know it. 
And that's basically the mechanism for things like post-traumatic stress, okay, anxiety, uh, depression, things like that. These aren't from pathogens. You can get all the kill the pathogens all you want. Have the person detox them out, have them take herbs, get rid of that, see if their depression's better. Might be for a little while, you know, but um, it's from memories just replaying over and over again. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's a great analogy about the stones. I like that. Right. Yeah, it's just a simple understanding of how easy it is. And, and our universe is actually holographic itself. Our bodies are holographic. That's why um, NFL, major sports teams, looks at iridology, looks at the eye to see for head injuries. Um, reflexology, you look at the bottom of the foot or the hand to find certain places. Um, auricular acupuncture looks at the ear for certain points and can work on, you know, point right there. And you can, you know, help migraines and things like that. So our body is holographic. Each little piece can reflect everything else. And our memories are the same way. And the memories that run the dynamics of our life are literally the ones that happen zero to five. Hmm. So, How much does a person need to be willing to want to change for this therapy to be effective? Can they be resistant to not want, I guess they wouldn't probably come and see you if they weren't ready to change, but uh, what sort of uh, role does the patient need to play in this? Is it all up to them or is it more so that the therapy is the thing that really gets them to that point, regardless of how resistant or compliant they're going to be right so again it's always both it's okay. always going to be both um when they because here's the person whenever it comes to resistance um that's a that's a good question because i've i've looked at why resistance happens in people okay when they want to change they want to do something People will resist anything. These are the three things that I've noted that are that are absolute concrete. If you can remember these, you'll always see why people do the things they do. And uh, this is neuroscience-based. They'll always resist what doesn't match their identity. So they will resist anything that doesn't match the building blocks of what happened to them, zero to five. And this is why you can tr meet a tremendous amount of beautiful women, because most of my clients are women, who are beautiful, they, they put a lot of care, consideration, work into the way they look, their outfits, their hair. And yet, if you tell them they're beautiful, uh, they automatically resist it. Mm. The majority of them do. Even if it's from their spouse, even if it's from someone they trust. So you resist anything that doesn't match your identity. You resist anything that doesn't match how you think others will see you. Okay. You resist anything that conflicts with what you believe to be true, even if it's not true at all. Now, and to answer your question, there's one more part of resistance that has to be, uh, it's called reactance. And this has to do with if the person's decided they want to get better and it's their choice and they aren't doing it for their spouse, they're not doing it for their parent, they're not doing it for uh, someone else, they're doing it for themselves. Um, and they're open to suggestions because they're wanting to do this journey, um, then it's a very easy process. We, we just help them clear out the beliefs they have, clear out the things inside of them 
that are contrary to them becoming this person. Right. And that's a very simple, easy process. But if they, if they, um, if usually whenever they come to me, they're, they're on that path. Mm-hmm. And during the interview process, I say, Hey, can you see who you'd be without this cancer? Can you see who you'd be without this irritable bowel? Who would you be if you didn't have this? I want you to look at that person and tell me your feelings. Are you scared to be that person? Does this person intimidate you? And if they say, yeah, I, I can't see that person. Ah, <laughs> then if you can't see it in your mind, you can't create it correctly. And you can't ask the universe to deliver that to you because mm-hmm. it's already there through quantum physics the neuroscience it's already there everything you want is there already waiting for you the answer to heal is within you um and if you can't see it or that person scares you so much that you're not willing to uh, transform into that person and and go through that steps of becoming this person then uh i hate to say it but i don't think there's a technique on the planet that will help them exactly so um just say you have someone who's really compliant and ready to heal and there's someone else who wants to, but there is some resistance there. How many, I know this is a hard question to answer, but how many treatments would you say each of those different people would need? Like if someone's ready to heal, would one session be enough or is there sort of like a series of treatments that people need to go through? Okay. And that's a, that's a good question. Um, let me give you an example of just two clients that I've seen through the years. That'd be great. Um, uh, so when people come to see me, um, more often than not, they've, they've already tried everything else. They've, they've usually already tried, uh, a, a great measure of unconscious work or subconscious work, uh, whether it's hypnosis or, um, you know, something. Okay. And they found that maybe it was helpful, uh, or they hit a block or something. Um, so I have had to answer your question. I've had a client once, uh, who contacted me and he was, um, he had just gotten on a ski lift. He had an all paid vacation and he gets on a ski lift up in the mountains to go on this wonderful vacation that he'd been looking forward to for years. And the ski lift chair starts kind of moving. He literally gets frozen with fear. And he contacts, he contacts a psychiatrist and they said, you got your fair to heights. You can't do that. And he immediately said, no, it's not that because I've climbed ladders. I put my own Christmas lights up. I've done all these things. It's not that. So he contacts me. Someone there mentioned my name. He contacted me and we regressed the cause. And what I found was what him and I both found. And this is them going through the memories. It's not me doing anything. It's him using the code of his own system and going in and learning his unconscious way deeper than he'd ever imagined. And I'm just guiding him through the process like a technician, Mm -hmm. a technician of the nervous system. And he was born in a family where he was welcomed. His mom and dad were extremely happy to have him when he was, when she was pregnant, filled with joy. He would always talk, the dad would always talk to the belly, you know, and so great life welcoming. Okay. He's an infant one day. Mom's carrying groceries, carrying him, drops a can, goes to pick up the can, more groceries, 
slip out. The eggs go to slip. She tries to catch the eggs, drops the baby. Mm. Baby hits the ground, starts screaming and crying. Mom panics, thinking I've killed my child, picks the baby up really quick. Baby's fine, right? But it captured that moment. Right. Captured that holographic imprint. Later on that evening, mom and dad are arguing uh, about whose fault it is. The baby got dropped. Um, Baby's fine. Everything's okay. Just more added to that initial hologram. Hmm. Then he's 10 years old, arguing with a friend, falls out of a tree house, hits the ground, gets the wind knocked out of him. Okay. Uh, I think it was 12 years after that, he's driving down a mountain in a vehicle and he's got a girl with him. They start arguing. The truck starts bouncing. All those things get replayed. He gets into a very big panic. Okay. With it. Doesn't have any idea why. And then suddenly he's um, 50 years old, getting on a ski lift. Hmm. The chair starts moving and every one of those memories goes active. And he literally freezes with fear because he hit his threshold. We all have a certain threshold of what we can hold of these memories before they overload and and the system starts malfunctioning. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he had hit his overload on that. He contacted me and his basically long story short was he had a really good life except for a couple of incidences that literally stuck up. And we went through and changed each one of those. He could get on the ski lift, no problem. Okay. Uh, Actually, uh, within two appointments, he was getting on the ski lift and just hunky-dory, fine, not one problem with it. So that's scenario A. Scenario Z is another person who contacted me, mid-40s, a man with severe depression, lots of addictions, contacts me and says, um, you know, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of these relationships. I'm tired of waking up just, you know, a shell of, of what I could be. I feel like my potential, I feel like there's more to me, but I just can't see it. I can't see it. I can't feel it. I don't know what it is, but I'm just tired of living this way. And I want a big change. And I said, okay. So I have no idea what I'm getting into. We get into his unconscious mind. Okay. Quite a different story. When he was born, his mom had a one-night stand. His mom had a one-night stand with a guy she'd never met. Gets pregnant. Suddenly, he's filled with regret. Talking with friends, talking with um, other family members, and they all said, you have to get rid of this baby. This baby's going to ruin your life. Baby feels every bit of that. We now have the science to verify that whatever happens to mom happens to the fetus. So... You know, then she's talking with abortion doctors. Now, what does a fetus know about abortion? Nothing. It knows the feeling of not being wanted. Mm. She ends up deciding to have the child. She has the child. It's a boy. The boy resembles the man she had the one night stand with. So there's now this barrier between mom and new baby. Right. Something biologically critical time of connection. Mm. Doesn't get it. So he goes through life, becomes a child of with many peer experiences of rejection. Same thing happens through his teens. Uh, he grows up to be a young adult just with a lot of rejection issues, lots of addiction, lots of pain. Contacts me years later and says, hey, I, I want to uh, change this. I want to get a better life. I would just want to feel good. 
Now this scenario, client Z, is equivalent to taking a handful of sand and throwing it at a plain glass window and trying to figure out what particle hit first. Where do we change it? And that particular scenario, never being welcomed in the world one time, is equivalent to a wrestling match. And I don't care what technique there is out there. That's a wrestling match. Yeah. And I told him, after we worked a few times, I said, this is kind of what we're up against. And he said, I don't care. I'm committed. I, I can already tell something's shifting in me from doing this. So every time I work, I mean, I'm highly invested in deep, permanent change work. I, I don't, I don't want anything that's, that's surface level. Mm. And so every time I work with a person, their identity shifts in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I worked with this gentleman for a little over 10 months. He saw me every week. We dove in and changed every memory we could find that came up of rejection, rejection, rejection. At the end of 10 months, his depression was completely gone. He had given up drinking. He had started a really healthy relationship because he fully accepted himself. And when you fully accept yourself, you're going to find someone that accepts you for who you are, right? So that's the scenario. And I have no idea what I'm getting into with a person um, when we start working. You know, when we start working and trying to figure out what kinds of things they're wanting, what kind of illnesses they're wanting to get rid of, uh, whatever it is they're wanting to change. Everyone falls in between A and Z. Yeah, that was such so. great examples. And it sounds like you're doing some really important and interesting work there. And I know that you've done some uh, like training in the past for clinicians. So right, like, it's you don't just work with the general public who, who want to say, get to the bottom of their health issues, you also help to train clinicians in this modality, correct? I do. Um, my wife and I put together a webinar some time ago, and it was titled the best self-development webinar in the world. And I I really felt that it, it's putting a big title on there um, like that, a big name uh, caused a lot of attention. Mm. And when people went through that, I demonstrated just a few of I demonstration of how the mind works, how holographic things work. And then we went through one technique at the end, one technique at the end. And when we finished that technique, everyone was like, whoa, they were sweating. They were feeling completely different. Something that freaks out your average hypnotherapist when they do a deep change work and all of a sudden their whole body's sweating because their nervous system has been upgraded so much by changing something from early on the next day we are flooded with emails from professionals and doctors saying what are you doing okay well what are you doing we we i want to know more and so we put together a grad program to where it's very very detailed on with no fillers there's i would say it's the most advanced um school for teaching people how to resolve trauma childhood trauma Okay. And so you get a series of techniques. You get general negativity, specific negativity, and then you get primary interventions, which work 100% of the time. These things work on everyone, even skeptics. Okay. And so, and then every two weeks, I meet with students through a Zoom classroom 
and we add more. I'm always refining things, um, going over troubled cases, going over clients, going over techniques, and I'm very specific in my instructions. Use these on yourself. Use these on yourself. And uh, I find that people absolutely love doing that. They love changing themselves. They love getting rid of their own baggage that they didn't know was there. That they've been, I've been doing this and I've been tapping and I've been, you know, doing things forever. And I, and I never got to the depth of what this is doing. And the reason I tell them that's because the more you clear that stuff from you, the more you're going to draw people in that sense. Because we're to, most of our mind is so working on the surface that we cannot consciously understand it at all. We're only aware of 0.006%. And the mind is truly a very fascinating um, uh, concept. Remember earlier we were talking about, I live in the Ozarks and I live in the mountains and secluded in the woods. I said most time people never go back to city life. Do you know why that is? Mm. Thought energy. Right. Thought energy. What's thought energy? Thoughts are things that we send out that have a measurable effect, and they've been demonstrated through. Uh, one example is Cleve Baxter. Uh, a, in the 1960s, he was um, the United States FBI most trusted polygraph analyst. Okay, and so he was a big deal. He ran a school. He taught people around the world the art of lie detection. And one day, on a whim, he hooks up a plant to a lie detector test. And he dunks the leaves in hot coffee, and he's trying to see if he can get the needle of his polygraph machine to respond. And he's doing things, nothing's happening. And he kind of goes, well, whenever I do this to a person, I have to threaten their life. So I know, I'll um, burn one of the leaves. He reaches for matches, and the needle jumps. And that's just one example of hundreds around the world that I've studied and archived on the mind and how the mind leaves our body, how the mind excels outside the body. And you can tell this because if you go on a nice drive in the woods, you're out secluded, you literally pick up the mind of the forest the mind of nature, it's very soothing, symmetri- symmetrical, and it brings order to us. That's why in 1800s and things in the, the England, they would put insane people in gardens to work. Mm. And that symmetry uh, reorganized, reorganized a chaotic mind. Well, if you're driving in a country road and it's all nice and soothing, and you start going to a city and then you go into a particular store where there's just a pr- tremendous amount of people, you feel different mm. at a very unconscious level. You're picking up the thoughts of all those people. And so what I tell my my students, what I tell my clients is, the more you work on your own stuff, the more your entire world outside of you is going to be impacted as well. You right. don't work on the outside. You work on the inside. Mm. Working on the outside, trying to fix things, like what we've seen in functional medicine and things through the years, is no different than a guy who's deaf, doesn't want to acknowledge he's deaf. It's not me. Okay. It's everyone else. 
and he decides to buy a ticket to Carnegie Hall, goes in and listens to this wonderful symphony of music, and he can't hear it. So he's frustrated. Moves seats, can't hear it. Moves to the front, can't hear it. Takes his ticket and says, I need a balcony seat. Gets to the very top, can't hear it. Finally, he says, I cannot screw this. This is, this is not working. He gets a front row ticket, so he's yards from the violins playing. Still can't hear it, and he storms out, saying, this is just a bunch of crap. Right? When he says, okay, I'm deaf, and I need to find a way to overcome that to enjoy this, mm. that's different. Off too often, many people are deaf in some way, shape, or form, and they reject it because their identity doesn't match it, and they're always looking at this something outside of themselves for the answer, and they'll never find it. The answer is within them. Mm. So that's one of the things uh, that I teach in my school, and every student with me that enrolls gets 13 sessions with me one-on-one, -on -one. Right. so they get a chance to sit in a passenger chair. While I go through and help them, help them cut sandbags and clear out things that they don't want anymore, as well as teaching it and being very interactive. So you help so, them overcome their own limitations and, and health issues and things as well, so they experience it firsthand. Very much so. That's cool. Because that's because the more they experience it and the more they um, see what it's like to get free of those things. They feel different. They're going to draw things in different. They're going to see the world differently. And they're going to be able to reproduce those kind of results for their clients. That's awesome. And is that how long the course goes for, 13 weeks? Uh, the course, they get 13 sessions with me. Uh, the course is ongoing. It's made for professionals. It's made for doctors, people that are busy. So there's no fillers. You know, that's not going to get any kind of history lessons or anything that isn't going to you know, perhaps help you with your clients. Mm. There's a tremendous amount of documentation from a library that shows you this is how people heal. This is how the mind works. This is how these things work. Uh, but then it goes right into technique one, two, three, four, how to do things, how to right. clear things generally, and how to do primary interventions, how to find the cause, how to do things ancestral. Many times, um, had a woman with uh, reoccurring lung issues a while back and just couldn't take a deep breath said she had asthma tried everything was taking these uh, herbs copa things like that for um, you know increasing her lung capacity and contacts me and says I just I keep feeling like I'm losing more and more lung capacity and I said when's it the worst when she drives over bridges and I said that's not asthma right and I said, so, without using any symptomology or any labels that any doctors have ever told you before, tell me what you experience that makes you think or, or makes you get to the realization that you have a problem. And she goes, well, I noticed that I used to get nervous driving over bridges, then it got worse and got worse. And finally, one day, I couldn't even do it. I pulled aside the road. And after that, I contacted you. And I said, okay, this has a feeling, a feeling you don't like, a feeling that you want to change. Go all the way back to the very, very, very first time you ever felt this. You're going to think you're making it up. It won't make logical sense, but your unconscious mind doesn't lie. It doesn't lie. It'll take you right to that point. Hmm. And when you get there, just let me know. And she suddenly is looking at some 
Western scene. And I said, okay, you're out. I said, are you outside or inside? She goes, I'm outside. It's dusty. And I said, look at your hands and observe your hands. Measure your hands with your mind. Tell me what your hands look like. And she's like, my God, they're just big man hands. And I said, what's your name? And she goes, Carl, Carl, you know, and she kind of opens her eyes and is like, Carl. And I said, is this really happening? And I said, ma'am, I'm over here. I work through Zoom. I said, I'm over here. You're over there. Your mind is taking you to the very source. So tell me a little bit more what happens. She's riding a horse. She literally sees this horse head in front of her. And she's coming across the bridge. And her whole ranch, well, his whole ranch, Carl's ranch, everything that he'd ever owned has been burned down. And there was a tremendous loss, a f- loss of hope, dismal, just everything, just right. gone. Mm. And that was stored as a holographic imprint. It took everything, took all of this man's feelings, overwhelmed, tremendous overwhelm, and stored it, and it got passed down wow. as a holographic imprint, and it was suddenly hers. Mm. And we reframed that completely. And she had no problem. She could take deep breaths, no problem with bridges anymore. And we know this is true. Uh, I think it was um, I, Elmway. I can't remember the name of the medical school that actually uh, successfully reproduced um, cellular memories getting passed down, traumatized in mice. They let a mouse smell uh, cherry, hmm. gave him a mild electric shock, smell cherry, shock him cherry shock them smell cherry they shock them then they have these mice have offspring and then offspring again and then offspring again so three generations later they take these mice three generations later they let them smell cherry and the mice tremble with fear three generations have not been shocked wow but those cellular memories get passed down and that's what they uh you know we're talking about spiders and snakes and things if you got an overwhelming phobia to a spider, a snake, something that likely did not happen in your zero to three. It's something getting passed down. And our body is our body is light from atoms and memory. I mean, we carry a tremendous amount of memory in us uh, through our ancestor cellular memories. And sometimes they lie dormant. Sometimes they can go active. Um, and sometimes what I'm finding now are certain medications can actually trigger traumatic ancestral memories, uh, like benzodiazepines. Hmm. So, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating, Doctor Roberts, and I appreciate all the wonderful little analogies and the real life scenarios that you've shared. And I'm certainly interested in learning more. And um, would you be able to let the audience know where they can go? to either work with you directly if they're say a patient or a practitioner who wants to work on their health or if there's someone who wants to take your course where do they find more about uh, these services that you offer and um, how do they get in contact with you okay probably the easiest way is going to be the subconscious healer.com okay so the subconscious healer.com and uh, just look for you know Gabe Roberts, Dr. Gabe Roberts, um, should be able to find it pretty easy. But that website um, is probably the best way to contact us, email us, 
um, learn a little bit more. If you just get on thesubconscioushealer.com, you'll get a free download of my book, and it can go into more details talking about this, answering a tremendous amount more questions. You'll get a free download of that book. So um, for people that are interested in this kind of work, that's a, a great start. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming and speaking with me today. I really appreciate your time, and it was a really fascinating discussion and something that I think is um, very important because we often overlook the subconscious mind as a gateway to healing. We sort of focus on the physical stuff, but very rarely do we pay attention or give credit to um, the power of the subconscious and how much influence that can have over our health. So I yeah, appreciate you sharing that with me today. Daniel, I appreciate um, you having me here today. It's, it's, been, it's been a great time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. The ideas discussed on this podcast do not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com forward slash podcast and join the discussion. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Until next time.